So this evening, uh, I want to speak to you about freedom from man-made religion, or freedom from man-made worship, right? I want to encourage you to worship God in Christ from the heart, a regenerated heart, free from the slavery of man-made religious rules and ideas. Now, the word freedom means different things to different people, doesn't it? If a person is in Belmash, what is freedom? Freedom means every release from prison, if they can be released, right? If you're a Scottish nationalist, what does freedom look like? Well, freedom for you is a question of sovereignty. It means leaving the United Kingdom, if you can, so you can apply to join um, the EU. If you're in Kiev right now, in Ukraine, freedom means getting rid of the Russian presence in the country so that you can live under a NATO umbrella. Freedom means different things to different people. But what does freedom mean for followers of Christ? Uh, we need to know the answer because freedom is the aim of our salvation in Christ. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's interesting. Isn't it? Christians have been called to freedom and they're meant to use that freedom actually for selfless service to other believers. Why did Christ die for us? To set us free, says Paul. Free from what? Well, the obvious things, isn't it? Christ sets us free from the power of sin, from death, hell, Satan. But within those four areas, if you like, we also receive other freedoms from Christ, including the freedom we're talking about today, which is freedom from man-made worship. Freedom from man-made worship. Please stand with me there at Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 to 23, which we just read. These verses are part of a larger section in Colossians, as you know, that begins at verse 16 and then ends at verse 23. So what's going on in this section is that Paul uh, is encouraging the Colossians to stay free, right? To stay free from the influence of the false teachers that have crept in at the church at Colossae. These false teachers want these new believers to abandon their faith in Christ. But so Paul in this passage, what he's doing is he, he deals with three errors that are there. First of all, in verse 16 to 17 there, which we read, uh, Paul warns them not to give in to the error of ending salvation by following Old Testament laws. He says in verse 16, doesn't it? Therefore, do not let any, no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. And he goes on to expand on that. We said last week that Christ has set us free from living, from ending our salvation by keeping the Old Testament laws. The Old Testament law is important. Uh, for us, the law of God is good, but we don't end salvation through that. Uh, and Paul is reminding the Colossians that. In verse 18 to 19, Paul warns them against other false teaching that these false teachers are brought to Colossae. And we looked at these verses this morning, didn't we? Verse 18 to 19. And we, we looked at least at five errors these false teachers had introduced at Colossae. And we're encouraged to stand firm against spiritual deception. This evening, I want to focus on verse 20 to verse 23. Because Paul here is warning the Colossians not to let the false teachers lead them into man-made worship. Let me just read those verses again. 
If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not test, do not touch, referring to things that will perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There are three important truths I just want to draw out for you this evening from this passage that Paul is teaching us. First of all, the first truth is this. People want us to worship God by their rules. That's the first thing we observe from this passage. People, and I mean Christians, or people who profess to be Christians, actually want us to worship God by their rules. Paul, in this passage, notice that's by reminding the believers at Colossae that like all true followers of Christ, they are united to Christ. If, if with Christ you die, they are, and, and he's already expanded on that in previous verses, they are united with Christ, they are now with Christ, right? When Christ died, they died. When Christ was buried, they were buried. When Christ rose, they rose. They have this amazing union. We are in Christ, right? And because this, this for Colossians are in Christ, with Christ, they should not allow themselves to be controlled by false teachers, right? They should reject these false teachers who want them to live by their man-made rules. And in verse 21 to 22, Paul gives a list, doesn't he, in this passage. And look at that, particularly verse 21 to 22. Do not handle the things they are being taught to do. Do not test do not touch. These are rules they've made, the first teachers have made for them. Referring to things that will perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Paul is saying these first teachers are telling these believers to do these things which are based on human precepts, human teaching, worldly wisdom, man-centered thinking as we talked about when we looked at the previous verses. These false teachers, the, thing, the, the key point here is that these false teachers are going beyond simply asking them to follow the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. They have developed their own rules on top of that. And they are using these regulations to control the Colossians. And these false teachers, in some sense, when we think about them, they sound like a bit like the Pharisees, isn't it? Because you remember when we went through the Gospel of Mark, the Pharisees had added to the law with the traditions from their founders. And so you had the written law, and the oral law, which was basically the traditions of the Pharisees. And these false teachers are doing the same thing. It is a gigantic burden that they have placed on themselves, and they are trying to impose this burden on other believers, on, on believers at Colossae. They don't like anyone violating their man-made rules. Now, as we sit here, we may think, well, at least we are not at Colossae, but this threat is still one which, as Christians, we face today. People want us to worship God by their man-made rules. There are people found in churches who are determined to bring you under their thumb. It's a fact. These are found in every church. They are bent on making you a slave of their man-made wisdom and traditions. They go around with a clipboard to make you live by their rules. They tell you you must first do things in line with their ideas and traditions and customs to be really considered 
a proper and legitimate Christian. That's what's going on at Colossae. Now, I am not talking about people who insist that you obey certain laws or moral rules in order to be saved. That's what I'm, I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. We've already dealt with that. That was the first sermon in, uh, in, this, uh, in this section. Those people are not true followers of Christ. It is easy to spot them and tell them to go away, isn't it? If somebody is telling you you've got to be saved by keeping the law, you can just tell them, get out of here. You know, that's not the gospel. So I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about those who want you to conform to their variety of Christianity. And I'm talking about those who people, those people who make us feel that we're sinning by doing something that the Bible is silent on or even encourages us to do. Believe you me, there are people like that. These people, like these four teachers at Colossae, place a higher value on human regulations rather than on the Word of God, on what the Word of God teaches us. And what they do is that they, they often build a fence of man-made rules for worshiping God around the things that God has already made clear in His Word. For example... A few examples. For example, the Bible encourages us to, in fact, I would say, command us to dress modestly. The Bible does. Both men and women are meant to be careful not to flaunt their sexuality. The Bible commands that. It's important. And especially the ladies are given an example of, in First Peter 3, of Ruth and, 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 that, and that example. The Bible commands that we should be careful not to do that, not to flaunt our sexuality. And we need to remember that, especially with the good weather we are enjoying, right? Seriously, we must dress modestly, not just in church, but everywhere. And in fact, those in leadership have a duty of an example to set the bar uh, in whatever area the Lord has placed you in to lead. So that's clear, isn't it? But no one has a right to condemn others for wearing colorful clothing or use, use of makeup or changing their hairstyle every week. Or even there I say bring your hat, wearing your hat to church for a lady or something. Uh, good hat. I'm talking about those that, you know what I mean, those hip-hop hats. That's up to you if you want to come in a hip-hop hat, right? So we should be careful about that. It's clear, though, that in churches there are people who are interested to police how we dress. And they go beyond, they go beyond just a requirement for modesty. And uh, there I say, for the benefit of my wife, um, pastor's wife come in quite heavily on this one. In the sense that they, they are heavily policed on how they are dressed. And uh, I speak that with a wider experience supporting other churches. One of the big issues... Uh, people see pastor's wife, how they're dressed, and they come up with a list of things that they need to do. Elders' wives, of course, in general. But we shouldn't be like that. We should not be uh, policing people's dressing. The important thing is that everybody should dress modestly. That's example number one. Example number two, the Bible condemns lust in all its forms, doesn't it? Lust is a sin. Flee from pornography. Flee from any form of lust. But some people condemn as annually everything from TV to movies and even mixed swimming, right? 
Now, of course, we must be careful that about what we watch and how we use our time. We shouldn't be supporting TV channels that are promoting godlessness and that kind of thing. We should be careful about that. But we must be careful not to impose man-made rules on other believers. We, we, must, not, we must be careful not to police um, uh, the use of television uh, and things like that. That's between the believer and, and God too, in that area. See, people who are always like this uh, are like false teachers, these false teachers, uh, who are always looking around to see who's stepping out of line with their cherished man-made rules, and we see that quite often in church. They nitpick and judge, nitpick and judge, nitpick and judge. They're like, ah, you drink alcohol, you attend movies, you go to Sainsbury's on Sundays, wow. I saw you in Nando's. I was just walking by, of course, going for a walk. I wasn't doing any of that, right? Ah, you read from the Good News Bible, not the authorized Bible. What's up with that? Are you sure, brother, you really believe everything we believe? I am watching you, right? There are people like that. Oh, wow! Did you see she has a tattoo? I know she got it before she was saved, but why doesn't she cover it up or something? That's, that's promoting wrong behavior if she just keeps it like that. That's more holy, covering it up. And they'll come to you, of course, isn't it? That I've noticed that, brother, I've noticed that you, you don't always close your eyes when you pray, right? <laughs> How do you know, right? <laughs> well, they may ask you, by the way, do you tithe out of your net income or out of your gross income? That's a good one, isn't it? I'm just wondering, what do you think, right? The point is that people always want us to live by their man-made rules. And as believers, we must watch out that we ourselves are not perpetrators of this, and we must not allow people to make us victims of their man-made rules. Why is that? Well, because of the, sec because of the second point. The second point is this. Worship of God by man-made rules is not true worship. True worship of God is God's way. Worship of God by man-made rules is not true worship. That's the second point. Paul says plainly here that man-made rules is not true worship, and he actually gives us six reasons. Paul gives us here why man-made rules is not true worship. Uh, look at verse 22. The first reason is that man-made rules are of human origin. Of human origin. Look at verse 22. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to what? Human precepts and teachings. In other words, any worship that derives from the authority of man is really worship of man himself. It is idolatry. When we are adding human ideas to our worship, we are not just saying... We are saying his revelation and wisdom is not good enough. We are saying we prefer our own. And this is why I believe personally in the resurrection principle that we should worship God as he's commanded. But if you're not worshiping God as he's commanded, we are worshiping God our way, and we think we know better than God does. So any worship by human origin, any, any man-made rules are of human origin, something. That's the first 
problem why it's not true worship of God. The second reason is this. Man-made rules are not purely human. Don't miss that. They're from, they're, they originate from man, but they're not purely human. Look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, while as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to these human regulations? Poor means. Paul is saying these man-made rules have their origin in thinking that is directly influenced by Satan. Paul calls these satanic powers elemental spirits of the world. This is not just simply an issue for the Colossians and the, the, the specific satanic influence there. It is a general principle. Only the devil wants you to worship by man-made rules. And if you are doing your Christian life by other people's ideas, you are actually not simply submitting to them, you are submitting to demonic powers that plant these ideas in their head. The third reason why man-made rules is not true worship is that man-made rules are deceptive, aren't they? On the outside, it looks like the answer to the problem... On the outside, it looks like these are the answers to the problem of sin, but they never really deal with the sin issue. They deceive us in that area. So people say, do this and do that, do that, right? On top of what the Bible said, because they think that's the way you can grow in holiness. But actually, it doesn't deal with the issue of holiness. Look at verse 23. Paul makes that clear. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Yeah, they look like, well, sound, right? In promoting self-made religion and aestheticism, we talked about that this morning, and severity to the body. It looks like they're disciplining the body, they're punishing, you know, denying the body. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, worship by man-made rules is very enticing. We feel assured that if we do this, our spiritual life will grow, that we will improve, that God will be pleased with us, right? But in fact, it is a sham. Because it does not deliver us from the fundamental problem in our lives, the problem of sin. The, the man-made rules are pepper over cracks, Right? Telling people to do this and do that can never work. And parents, I would encourage you to focus on the heart reformation, to focus on preaching the gospel to our children. Because rules as important as they may be for, for little ones, we must not base our, the way we live with them on that. We must base it on the gospel. And in the church, we must recognize that sin cannot be caged by any rules. We cannot get close to God by following rules. We can only get to close to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth reason man-made rules don't work are, are, are not true worship is that they promote self-driven worship. And I've hinted on this already, but let's just look at it again. It promotes relying on the self to worship God, isn't it? It is always about what we do for God. Look at verse 23 again. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting what? <clears throat> Self-made religion. In other words, religion based on man-made rules is attractive to people because human beings are self-centered. We find it appealing to worship God with our rules. We do. It exhausts our humanity. It feels that we are doing something for God. It puts us at the center of worship, as I said before. It is a man-centered way of doing spiritual life. It is essentially self-worship. Creating rules to help us worship God creates 
Worship of God is based on what we do for God rather than what he has done for us in Christ. In effect, it turns worship into a human effort rather than something that the Holy Spirit does through his grace and power. And of course, the tragedy is that any man-made rules for worship and for living the Christian lives can never restrain sin. Quite the opposite, Paul is saying. They promote sin by enthroning the self in worship of God. Reason number five, man-made rules focus on the body, not the heart. We've entered on this already. The false teachers are focusing on disciplining the body, not in surrendering the heart to God. Verse 23, isn't it? These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of flesh. Why? Because they haven't dealt with the heart issue. And this is important, isn't it? God wants our hearts, not our rules. Those who relate to God by following man-made rules only honor God with the rules, but not with their hearts. And that's why even as a church, as we have our own for administrative purposes, church rules, and things like that. We must remember that those things are insisting on those things to the letter often. We must be careful about that because we may have members that worship God with the rules, but not with the heart. And so we must emphasize that we don't, we're not governed by those rules. We are um, we, we are governed by the word of God and the rules are meant to interpret the word of God for us. And where we find things in the church rules that contradict the word, we must be, or are not thought through carefully as, 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 a, as a membership, we must move swiftly to rectify those. I think of one rule that we once had, whereby if you're a member and you're under the age of 16, you couldn't really vote. I don't think that's biblical. And therefore, as a church, we need to look at that. And I think, anyway, we don't really have anyone under 16. But you get the idea. I'm praying for somebody under 16, so we get rid of that one quickly, right? <laughs> um, God wants our hearts, not our rules. That's the main thing. Many Christians are like these false teachers, aren't they? They think God cares only about me keeping rules. What actually goes on in my heart does not matter to God. And the reason we're like this is because people treat us based on how we keep their rules, Right? That's why. Shamima Begum was British until she violated our rules. Our employers are only willing to keep us in their jobs to the extent that we keep their rules. If we don't, we lose our job. That is how life is. And, and, it, and what happens is that we transfer this attitude of rule generation and rule keeping to God. We think since God also has rules, and he does, the law... So we need to create many more rules around them so we don't lose sight of God. We create man-made rules partly, actually, ironically, as an attempt to stay within the love of God. We feel the more rules we make, the more we can keep God's rule and therefore we'll stay in God's love. But in fact, God's rules, we've learned already, I hope you've learned anything from Colossians, you've learned what we looked at in verse 16 to 17, which is that God's rules are not about that. Verse 16 to 17 showed us that the laws of God point us to Christ. That's their fundamental point. Christ is a substance and end of the law. They're not about buying the love of God. 
We obey those laws now because we have the love of Christ now. Christ has changed our heart. Finally, the final reason why man-made rules are not true worship is that man-made rules corrupts, turns worship be a blessing, the worship of God into a burden people can't stand. Verse 20 to 23, I think, is just what's getting at. Let's just read those verses together just to get a sense of what Paul, the force of what Paul is saying. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirit of the world, why? Paul is shocked. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulation? Paul doesn't get it. Why do you do that? Why give yourself this extra burden? Do not undo, do not test, do not touch, referring to things that are perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. He says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We could feel the passion in Paul's, in Paul's voice there, because the force of what Paul is saying is that this additional human regulation turns the worship and life of the Colossians that they have in Christ into a burden before God. Christ has saved you by grace. Why do you allow these people to turn your worship, your life with Christ, into a burden? And of course, it's a danger, isn't it? That we all face in, as believers. We face this from man-made rules. Man-made rules steal joy and squeeze the intimacy out of our relationship with God in Christ. And I've spoken to people that have been, have lived in, have been in churches where it's a police state, you know, North Korea style, spiritual North Korea. And they have no joy, no joy whatsoever. And we must be careful about that. These things steal our joy and intimacy with God. For example, you know, the Bible doesn't forbid actually raising hands in worship. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't forbid raising hands in worship. Really, Brother Jeff, you can raise your hands. I know you love thinking a bit of that. I'm just joking, right? <laughs> the Bible doesn't forbid raising hands in worship. In fact, the Bible actually encourages it. Did you know that? But some Christians make, us, make others feel like it is a sin. And we can say the same thing about clapping. We often label people who clap something the Bible encourages us to do. We often label them as happy clappy. I've never been happy with that phrase. Because it denigrates what God has commanded actually to do. We should, you know, we should never allow the devil to be stealing things from us. Some people clap and they've gone liberal, and then we allow the devil to steal that from us. Praise the Lord. Very American. I know you've got relatives over there. That's very American. That's good. I've never understood why people clap when the pastor you know, preaches. Uh, yeah, but that's a different story, right? The problem is that, though, when some people see someone clapping, the look alone can make that person, if she was a new believer, to even doubt that salvation in Christ. And we who are mature in Christ should be aware of that. that we know the issues around the, the charismatic movements and the dangers they bring, and we mentioned those this morning. But we must allow believers to express their freedom that they have in Christ, uh, where appropriately, uh, where if we see obviously somebody doing something that disturbs worship of others, uh, that's, that's important. You know, we should exercise our worship with love. But we should certainly not be there policing people. And it can have a terrible impact on a new believer. It can. And I've seen that uh, in the lives of people. 
We may unknowingly be heaping condemnation and contempt on others, leading their lives to be energized by human fear rather than true love and freedom in Christ. The worship in, among God's people must be centered on the love and the freedom that they have in Christ. And so all of us this evening must ask ourselves, do we encourage people, I want to ask this question positively, do you think you as a believer encourage people to enjoy their biblical freedom or do you go around with an invisible clipboard? Are your made man, man-made rules making others feel fearful and rejected? Are you promoting false and joyless worship with ungodly attitude to others? Instead of encouraging people actually to lovingly express their freedom in Christ, are you in fact promoting a spirit of oppression among the saints? Among the people whom Christ died for. All of us need to take this issue serious, isn't it? Because those who relate to God by man-made rules are not true worshippers of God. Christ has come to set us free from man-made rules. Right? And that's the final truth I just want us to see briefly there. Right? So the first truth is that people want us to worship by their rules. That's a problem. Why is it a problem? Because worship of God by man-made rules is not true worship. That's the second point. So what then should we focus on? Well, Christ has freed us from man-made rules. And that's the good news of this passage. Look at it in verse 20 there. The central argument Paul is making in verse 20 and 21 is that all followers of Christ, as I said, are united to Christ. This is our new default position in Christ. And it's like this. It's like we have moved from living a single life to being married. That's a biblical picture. We are no longer on our own in Christ. We are now attached to the hip with Christ. We belong to him. And most importantly, we have already died to our old life. A married woman does not look back to a single life. No, the old single life is now behind her, isn't it? And the, man, the single man as well. In the same way, all true followers of Christ have died to the world. That's what Paul is saying in verse 20. The past loyalties we had with the world died with Christ on the cross of Calvary. They were left buried in the tomb, with Joseph, in, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. So we are no longer under the world and under the spiritual forces that control the world. No, as far as we reckon ourselves dead to the world. As far as the world is concerned, we are now living free under Christ. That's what verse 20 to 21 is really saying. If with Christ and we, you died, and we did die, because Paul has already said that, to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulation? Do not handle, do not test, do not touch. Paul is saying, look, it doesn't make sense for us to live under man-made rules of the world because we're no longer under the slavery of Satan. These man-made rules, whatever they are, they belong to the old satanic regime, which we used to live under. We are, we are no longer under certain satanic regime. It's like this. We were living perhaps like in Russia. Now we've moved to a free country in Christ. We are no longer under Satan's territory. Christ has transformed us, isn't it? Uh, we no longer live under the domain of evil. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, verse 13 to 
14. We are now free in Christ. So we should not allow anyone to rob us of this freedom. We should not submit to man-made rules because it's not our identity. We are with Christ. Christ has come to free us from these man-made rules which previously enslaved us. If we're true followers of Christ, we're in a new relationship with God. We have a new heart-to-heart life with God. What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who has been set free from the world system and his powers by the Lord Jesus Christ. He or she has been set free to now live for Christ. The world and its man-made rules is no longer our, 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 our master. We have died to this world forever. We are joined to Christ and we are under his protection. This is our new identity in Christ. And knowing this truth is vital and remembering this is vital for your holy life. That's why Paul is teaching it here. Growing in holiness starts with recognizing that Christ already dealt with our sin in our life. The power and order of sin has been removed. We might say this. When you think of the doctrine of sanctification, we might say this. If you're thinking doctrinally, uh, we are now positionally in Christ sanctified, isn't it? Positional sanctification. There's a part of our sanctification that has already occurred. Right? We have already died. We've talked about that. But what is happening to us now is that we are being progressively sanctified. So positional sanctification has occurred, and there's a part of sanctification that's progressive. We are becoming outside who we already are in Christ. The process of living the Christian life, therefore, is not one of trying to keep man-made rules, but one which is about remembering, remembering that we are already dead and that we are free. It's becoming outside who we are inside. And so actually living the Christian life is just really learning to be us. <laughs> right? Because we are already free in Christ. Therefore, it's learning. What does this freedom mean that Christ has given us? We've been called to freedom in Christ. Christ is God protecting our heart relationship with God. He is a shepherd who fends off the spiritual wolves that try and deceive and steal our freedom. And in this passage, actually, we've seen there are two types of leaders, aren't there, in this passage? We have one group of leaders that are all about gaining power and robbing people of their freedom. And we as leaders in the church, in every area of our life, we have to know, are we freedom givers or are we freedom takers? We must ask ourselves uh, in leadership. Because we have two forms of leaders, aren't we here? We have those leaders who are all about getting power. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ, who has not come to grab power from sinners and grab freedom from sinners. No, Christ came to give it away so that we can worship God with our hearts. And this selfless leadership of Christ is what has brought us, isn't it, in the relationship with God and, and keeps us there, isn't it? Because it was accomplished on the cross. On the cross, Christ bore the burden of the law on our behalf. The law that said every sinner must die for their sin before God. Christ went up to the cross. He died the death you deserve. And through that, he has purchased a new relationship for us before God. And so I just want to encourage you that if you're trusting in Jesus this evening, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. You're free in Christ. And in this passage we've seen, that means three things, isn't it? You're free from performance, trying to end your way to God by following the Old Testament rules. 
the law. We are not saved by that. You are free from spiritual deception. We talked about that this morning. And here we are reminded that you are free from man-made rules. You are accepted by Christ forever. I guess what Christ is saying to you in this passage is simply this. Don't try and create rules to please me. I have already accepted you through my death on the cross for you. Don't be like these false teachers who try to create new rules to please me. I have, I have set you free from man-made rules. Receive my love, Christ says. You cannot do anything that will cause me to love you more than I already do. I know all about you. I have made you mine. I died for you. And I love you completely. And I am working every day by God the Holy Spirit to transform you into my image. When we come to chapter 3, we'll see that. That's the grand project that Christ is working on for us. Every day is transforming us into his image. And so Christ says, we might say, continue to, do, to rest in me. Allow me to do my continuous work in your life. Let me do my job. Your job is to rest in my love. And your responsibility is to resist man-made work. Man-made rules, as it were. To just keep, by, do, by just keeping resting in my love. And the freedom that I have purchased for you on the cross. Amen.